Welcome back to Young Smart Money, show number five, with me, your host, Apple Kreider, the show that sets you up for lifelong financial success with personal stories and actionable advice that we certainly did not learn at school. So in this episode, we're doing something a little bit different, and I'm actually going to be bringing in Young Smart Money's first guest, Chase Jones. So Chase is a sophomore at the University of Florida, and somebody that I've been working with now for a few months on creating even more financial literacy-related content for high school students and college students. So one of the first things that I found out when I started talking with Chase is that he really has a lot to say about personal finance for young people, and he wants to act on these things. He's not content to just sit and talk about how the school system is not designed to teach us the financial skills that we need to know, but what he wants to be doing is be working on a solution to this problem, like creating content that's going to help students make these complex financial decisions that they are faced with throughout their lives. So in our conversation today, some of the big topics that we're going to address are one, the huge financial decision of deciding to pursue a college education, two, how to establish a solid resume during college, three, why Chase applied to over 200 different internships this year, four, the level of financial education that we both received throughout our high school and college experiences, and five, why changing that may not be our most effective route to take in creating a greater um, sense of financial literacy and a greater financial confidence in our generation. But let me stop talking and let's just get into the conversation and welcome our first guest to Young Smart Money. All right. Hey, Chase, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here on Young Smart Money today. It's good to be here. <laughs> um, well, since our audience probably has not met you before, um, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself, maybe about your history with just finances or your interest in finance in general? Sure. So uh, my name is Chase Jones. Um, I go to the University of Florida. I am uh, a sophomore entering my junior year. Um, I got into personal finance. Um, I mean, I, I, I mainly the main reason why I got into it is I first read a book and, and that book was called um, a random walk down Wall Street. And I mean, if you have time to, to read it, I, I might recommend it. But I, what I what I liked is that instead of telling you what to do, it explained like it explained everything that people do on Wall Street, what the investment brokers will told you, terminology that they'll use to confuse you, different methodologies that are used by different people. And it explained it in a way that made sense to me. And then it explained how um, there were inaccuracies or how these weren't the most reliable methods when different like psychology that, that goes into this. So you really understand all of these um, different methods and then at the end it recommends you use broad-based low-cost index funds and if it just opened with that I don't think it would have been as powerful as if it would have gone through and kind of explained all of these different practices that are used and all this terminology so then you know it's you understand what the other sides are so you can make a more informed decision so and i also watch a bunch of youtube when it when it comes to when it comes to personal finance um uh i mean many different channels um i can't think of <laughs> i can't think of them right now that's but, fair um I think it was like the Credit Shifu, um, that the, the Financial Diet, um, mm -hmm. quite quite a few quite a few other places. So I, I enjoy enjoy those types of videos. Well, I think among people our age, um, college age individuals, that's not really a common um, hobby, a common interest. Um, just being interested in finances in general. I think most people our age, we definitely get a bad rap, but I think a lot of people are just content to. Um, go out, make their money at work, and then spend it all on Starbucks lattes and Chipotle burritos, um, pay rent, and just sort of get by. So was there anything that really, like, triggered your interest there? Or did you just sort of pick up this book one day, 
or just stumble upon to some financial YouTube channels? Or was there like a, a moment or like a circumstance in your life that sort of triggered this interest? Or what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy math a lot. And, you know, I, I just want I, I, I like, to, I like working with numbers and Excel and different mm-hmm. spreadsheets. So I, I worked with that. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. So I find interest in it. And it just happens to be that what I found interest in is actually really important when it comes to making decisions um, and financial decisions th- throughout. Um, it, so <laughs> there's that. That's fair. Um, I, I forgot the question. Sorry. <laughs> just like where your interest in personal finance came from, if there was like a trigger to that, if you had a certain event happen to you that made you have to think about money in a more significant way. Um, or if you sort of just along the numbers line, sort of like playing with the spreadsheets and getting more interested in learning about how money works and how to like build money. Yeah, I don't I don't think there was a particular event that happened where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I care about finance. Um, mm-hmm. I happen to be, you know, very blessed in being able to have my school already paid for with um, with my scholarship. And um, I was also, you know, I've been working ever since senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. I've worked I've gone from Panera. I've worked at an IT help desk I've and worked in health insurance and um, now I'm going to be working in um, supply chain. So I, I think that also helps because I'm now getting all this income. Mm-hmm. I have my school covered. So now I have to say, all right, well, what do I want to do with this? Do I, you know, want to go on a European tour for 21 days? <laughs> Is that a smart idea? Or should I, should I save it? And um, yeah, you, you should save it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely a lot better place to be in than a lot of the people I know and a lot of people that I'm going to school with. Um, but yeah, having that excess income, I think that's sort of where my interest in personal finance came from as well. Um, similar to you, I've been working probably since I was like 12, um, with just random summer jobs. I mean, my uncle owns a campground. I worked there for a couple summers working at places like Dairy Queen, Papa Murphy's, um, just a bunch of like restaurant gigs. And yeah, ever since the age of 12, my savings account has just, it's been growing, um, and I sort of wanted to figure out what I could do with this money because I felt like just having it sit there was sort of a waste. Um, I felt like there was some, some way I could be utilizing it to sort of build more money or do something that I would enjoy. And yeah, that's sort of where I came in on the financial, um, realm of things. That's sort of why I ended up on the YouTube finance section, whatever, um, sort of just Googling like what to do with extra money at the age of 12. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's probably where I got there from. Um, and like you, so you said you watch a fair bit of YouTube videos. Is that sort of where you stumbled upon the content that I produce? Yeah. So I was actually watching uh, a credit Shifu video and I saw that you left a comment and you're like 411 out of 500 subscribers, um, (laughs) Something along those lines, mm-hmm. and I, um, I'm like, oh, you know, you know, what? I'll look at, I'll look at this person's channel. You know, small channels don't get enough attention. Um, so mm-hmm. I was like, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'll look at a small channel, and it's like, you know, one upload um, yesterday, but the last upload was three months ago, and mm-hmm. there's another one three months ago, and then maybe one a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. But then I saw your channel, and I'm like upload, 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 upload. And I'm like, okay, he's really serious about this. And, you know, it seems like he's really passionate about it. So I looked into it more. I checked out your website and um, I just looked into it more. And I'm like, you know, this is this is some awesome stuff. I, I definitely see growth with the amount of grit that you're attacking this with. So um, that's that's what sparked my interest. Thank you. I appreciate that. I definitely do make it a mission to put out as much content as I physically can. Um, And yeah, that's sort of cool. That's really cool. Um, What were your, so what were your initial thoughts other than the fact that I was putting out a ton of content? Like, was this stuff that you got value out of? Was this stuff that you were like, I wish I would have seen this a year ago or stuff that you think high school students would get a lot out of? Like who, 
Or like, what were your what were your initial thoughts at the content that you found, other than the fact that there was a ton of it? So I thought the content was addressing a great audience that I don't think is addressed enough um, today, right? Because a lot of people they leave college and then they make you know first off going into college that's a huge financial decision. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think it's just the thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's the next step. It makes sense. Um, and people don't understand, you know, that, you know, a lot of people will have the mentality of like, I just want to go to the best school possible, no matter what it costs, because investing in my education is what matters. You know, nobody can take my education away from me. Mm-hmm. So therefore, any amount of money is worth it because it'll it'll pay off in the long run. And I mean, there are some there are some truths to that. Right. But. For example, for an undergraduate education, right, I made the decision, well, uh, you know, if I were to make the decision between an in-state school that has decent academics Mm -hmm. and an out-of-state school that has very comparable but marginally better, right, um, and in-state, I would have been free, and out-of-state, it would have cost me $45,000 a year, you know, I don't know if even if it's a little bit better, especially for undergraduate education, if that makes the most sense. So I'm lucky that I made the decision that I did. And I don't know if I would have gotten into some schools that were out of state, I could have seen myself making the, the wrong the wrong decision that makes sense because people don't see education as a product. Mm. It's very difficult to see it as a product, like just as you would price compare blenders or different wallets or any other consumer good education to some extent does have consumer good aspect to it mm-hmm. so especially for for undergraduate studies um i i don't th- i think that people you know it, the decision is tougher than it appears um and tying that back to your channel there's also you know a good amount of people who are in high school who aren't taught finances Um, or any sort of personal finance. And then the college kids also, you know, sometimes personal finance isn't even in college curriculum. And, you know, as soon as you leave college, right, you need to find a job and then you need to be fiscally responsible for yourself. If you have student loans, you Mm -hmm. need to start coming with a way to pay those back. Um, You know, you need to, to understand a lot of things about how to negotiate your salary you know, how much you're worth, different costs of living, right? A certain salary in California where it's ridiculous versus, I don't know, middle of nowhere, um, the, those salary comparisons, um, navigating the health insurance. There, there's so many decisions that you make, you know, is it right to buy a house? Is it right to rent a house? Nobody nobody really tells you. And people make these decisions quickly without a lot of thought to them. And I think that's why your channel is very valuable is because if you educate people about those decisions, which are very big decisions, it can lead to, to positive outcomes in, in the future. I completely agree with that. I think, yeah, these big decisions are not getting the time that they need in the consideration. I mean, like you said, with a blender, if someone's thinking about buying a blender, they're going to compare all these different blenders. They're going to take possibly even multiple hours. If This is like a $200 purchase or something. But then you look at the decision of buying or renting a house and people oftentimes just have an idea ingrained in their head of what they're going to do. They don't weigh the pros and cons. They don't look at the numbers. They just think, um, I am 32 years old. It's time for me to buy a house. And they don't think about whether it makes more financial sense for them to buy or rent. um, And they don't really take these bigger things into account. But tying back to what you said about college, you said a lot of People think it's sort of like the thing to do Um, and sort of going into college. What do you think should be the considerations for somebody that's thinking about not going to college? And what would you tell somebody who thinks that maybe it's not the thing to do? Like somebody, somebody who's taking a little more time to think about this decision. Yeah. So whether to go to college or not, I mean, First off, ask yourself why you're going to college. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the answer is, I don't know, um, well, then, you know, think, because you have a lot of options that aren't necessarily apparent to you. All of your high school curriculum is geared towards you being a rocket scientist. And I, I, I mean, I, 
I heard that. I don't know the accuracy of that, but I heard when they designed the curriculum for high school, you know, it, it, it's all college based, all college focused, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely take a vocational track, and that's a, a very g- good way to make a living. Um, if you're an electrician, if you're a welder, if you're in the plumbing industry, I mean, these are not low paying jobs, right? You can get really high paying jobs if you get proper apprenticeships and, yep. you know, or you, you go to the, the right trade schools. So that's definitely an option. Um, another option to consider, um, you know, if you have no money to pay to pay for college whatsoever, um, you know, those, those student loans can really, those student loans stick with you forever. If you file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, those student loans are still coming for you. I mean, yep. you can put them on hardship deferral and all sorts of stuff, but, I mean, it will wear on you in the future like you never even expected them to. I mean, you can just look up videos of where people who are in their 30s who are still, like, just drowning under student loans. Um, so, yeah, um, consider community college and working. Part-time community college, part-time working. Paying cash for paying cash for your education. That's that's a good way to do it. It might not be the way that everybody does it, but you know you can do community college for two years, get your AA, try and get you know good grades in community college, and then apply for a scholarship and try to transfer to a state school. Or you know um, there's there's many more paths than just going straight to a four-year university. And depending on your financial on your financial situation, you you need to consider consider your options. So. Yeah, that's it's just some things to think about. I totally agree with that. I think a lot of people, yeah, they think it's the thing to do. They think, um, what are your thoughts? I think people sort of think that once they get a four-year degree, they're sort of entitled to something else. I think that people get this idea in their head that, like, okay, once I graduate from college um, and I have this degree, I'll just be able to go out and get the job that I want at the location that I want, and I'll just start be able to build money, I'll get a house, I'll build a family. And they just think that all of this stuff just comes one after the other and that once they have that degree, like, all these doors are going to open for them. But I feel like that's not the case, especially today when a degree is just so commoditized and there's just so – there's so much supply and the demand is just not always there. Yeah, so a four-year degree does not um, – a four-year degree does not for sure um, give you jobs. Um, mm-hmm. at all, uh, to, you know, the first thing your employer is going to look at is like, okay, you got to do your degree. Um, what did you do during the school? Mm-hmm. What grades did you make? Sometimes some employers Something. don't care about that, but it, it's basically like, you know, what, what did you do during college? Did you just go to class and then do nothing? Because that doesn't make you a very attractive candidate to hire in any yeah. situation. Um, Sometimes you can be a great candidate and you still have to you still have to work for that um, for that first opportunity. Have you done any internships? Internships can be very important. I remember applying for for my first internship. Right. And let's say that there's a one percent chance. Right. So I was working out the statistics on this. And I'm like, OK, if there's a one percent chance, you know, Maybe I apply to 80, 80 different jobs. How mm-hmm. much? How much? How much? Uh, what's the percent chance that I even land an interview for an internship? Mm-hmm. And I ran the numbers with 80, and I think it came back to uh, like 50% or like <laughs> 54% or something like that. It was. It wasn't like 99%. I'm like, wait. So okay. So that's only a 15, 50% chance to um, to get an interview. That's wow. that's pretty poor. Uh, so, and then that was applying to, what did I say? 80 different places. So I ended up applying to 200 plus different internship positions. Wow. It might sound crazy. And it it took me at least, at least a few weeks and it was, it was constant, but I really wanted that, that first internship to set me ahead and I really tried to, to, to work hard for it. And I mean, that's just sometimes what it takes. Um, for example, sometimes people just post positions because their HR department requires them to, and mm-hmm. they've already had the position filled, but just something in the company policy says, oh, you have to post it online. Um, sometimes, you know, one recruiter will like you for something, and another one won't like you for the same exact thing. They, you know, you can't please every single person. You mm-hmm. know, it's just it's at, at one point or another, it's just going to be a crapshoot, right? And then the other thing is, you know, if you're a freshman and you have no experience, 
you're undesirable to begin with. Yep. There's very few companies that that will take that on because of because of the cost associated with that. So even when it when it comes to graduating, sometimes you know, companies are even more stingy with their full-time hires because a full-time hire, even if they pay you, you know, even if they pay you a relatively low salary of let's say like, you know, $50,000 a year for example, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a bad hire, think about how much that costs the company. So they, they first off have to learn that you're a bad hire. It might take them a year or two to, to figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's already $100,000 down the toilet. And on top of that, there's the opportunity cost of them hiring a proper person, yep. which you know is probably another $200,000 on top of that. So that's $300,000. And then you know they might have to give you a severance package or some some HR cost or administrative cost because you're costing everybody at the company. Maybe the work you're doing is counterproductive, right? So a bad hiring decision can cost a company, I don't know, half a million dollars sometimes. So the reason why, like, you know, they really, really want to be sure about you as a hire. And if you come out of college and, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't have a job. Okay. You were just went to class and you were not involved in anything. Um, Well, you know, Versus, you know, the person who did go to class, the person who did get a job, the person who was involved in student organizations, you know, who are who are they going to choose? You're not you're not entitled to, to something. And there's a lot of stories of people who are underemployed. Right. For example, mm-hmm. somebody with a degree who's working at Starbucks. And yeah. that's not that's not counted in the unemployment number. Mm-mm. So when you see when you see that unemployment number, um, it's it's a little bit low, right? Because that does, that unemployment doesn't count for people who are underemployed. It also doesn't count for people who are discouraged workers, meaning yep. that you haven't applied to something in the past six months, which happens to a lot of people. They just get discouraged and they live with their parents. And, and I, don't, I don't know. And then on top of that, there's a significant amount of people who go to college and they don't even graduate. Oh, God. And the research has shown that if you go to college – I I I, 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 I'm saying the research has shown, and I'd love to to, to pull up, you know, citations, but you can look into yourself. But from my understanding is that if you go to college and you have some college and you don't get a degree, you were better off not going to college at all. And and (laughs) guess what? On top of that, now you have $40,000 worth of student debt or, you know, some amount of money of student debt on top of that, which will never go away. And they're asking you to, to pay it now. So, you know, if you're not going to finish the degree, it's not really worth going to college. So that's why, like, community college can be a good idea, right? Because you do a test run, and community colleges are very inexpensive compared to the alternatives. So, you know, if you do community college and, you know, you're struggling and you realize that, hey, maybe this isn't for me, mm-hmm. um, then you might want to rethink. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's some of my thoughts. I probably deviated far from the question. <laughs> No, you are totally fine. Um, yeah, so personally, I totally <clears throat> agree with what you're saying, especially about community college. I think that one of the one of the primary benefits that I see out of a college education is learning what you're passionate about, because I think most people go into college having no idea what they're passionate about. They get out of high school, they're just like, "What do I do next? What do I do now? Do I do I, like?" And they don't want to disappoint anybody, so they end up going to college. But I think this can be a really good environment for learning what you love to do, because, again, at the age of 18, most people don't know what they want to do for the next um, five years, much less 20 years of their life. So um, I think that that can be a really beneficial thing. And I think community college can also really provide that at a much lower cost, just because um, you get you get exposure to a lot of different things while, again, not racking up forty five thousand dollars a year in student debt. Um, and I think that's a really under, underutilized option, at least from the environment that I grew up in. Um, people were sort of looked down on who decided to take the route of even just starting at a community college and then planning to transfer. Um, that was definitely not the standard route or the route that sort of made the parents happy, um, at least in my background. Um, is that is that true where you come from at all? Yeah, and I, I really do think it, it depends on, on your community and, you know, what standard, you know, um, what's your what's your high school's average graduation rate? What's your high school's average SAT scores? 
And, you know, the different high schools are at, at different levels to where what percentage of students go to community college versus a four-year university versus go right into the workforce. So I really do think it depends on, on your environment. But I think community college can be a solid option for, you know, if you're questioning whether or not you want to go to school or not, um, you don't necessarily have uh, the financial coverage to go to a four-year university. Um, community colleges can offer more flexibility when it comes to working. You can usually find one close to home as well. So a, a lot of people who are younger can live with their parents and, and most do, and you can work and go to community college. And, you know, you might mm -hmm. even be able to walk depending on, you know, where you live, but, yeah. um, or do it online. So a lot of community colleges have online resources. So yeah, I think it depends on your, your situation. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, so coming back to um, education, what were you taught regarding personal finance or really just financial literacy throughout high school and now into college? Um, was there any yeah. was there any of that in the curriculum provided to you? So, no, the, the, the answer is I really wasn't taught anything financially in high school. Um, I think we had one day where some person from a credit union came in and told us, hey, this is your credit score and this is how it's calculated. And then they were gone. <laughs> um, I mean, I've also been in some like simulator sort of thing. So like you simulate, you get a job and a salary and you have to get food. And mm. there's like it's like a little fair with tables and that sort of thing. But again, this was a one day thing. So yeah. maybe two days of education <laughs> in financial literacy in all of high school. Yeah, when it when it comes to college, um I don't um I took one course that was required by my degree mm -hmm. and it was called uh, engineering economy. Hmm. So um what I got and, and it comes with it has it, it teaches you about taxes and how the US tax system is, is structured. All okay. right. Um, and then it also teaches you about the time value of money. Oh, good. So what the, what the time value of money means for anybody listening who might not be sure about it is it basically means that a dollar today is not worth a dollar 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if I, a dollar in 1970 might be worth $30 today because of inflation and because of, uh, mainly inflation and mm -hmm. other factors as well. But that's kind of the idea of the time value of money. So that's that's why if, you know, you just have money in a in a checking account that's getting one-tenth of 1% per year annual interest, it's not as great as if your money was in, you know, a high-yield online um, bank, uh, online bank account. Yep. Um, which, you know, would be better than treasury notes, which would be better than CDs, which would be better than, um, you know, investing in, you know, low cost index funds. And, mm -hmm. you know, basically the more risk you take on, the more return you can get. Exactly. To, to, not always, but to, to some well, extent, yeah. you know, you can you can take on dumb risk. You can get yeah. poor very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's what was taught to me in um, high school and college. That's OK. So that so at least there was something there. I mean, even if it was only two days, um, I think what you said about the time value of money, um, I think that among all of the financial literacy lessons, I think time value of money is one of the most important things to get a grasp on early on. Um, just because, like you said, a dollar today is not the same as a dollar 20 years from now. And a lot of people um, don't realize that a lot of people think that a dollar is a dollar and that a hundred thousand dollars today is the same as a hundred thousand dollars 10 years from now when in reality this is just isn't the case and that this is one of the things that i've really been trying to get across um in youtube videos but i think it's really hard to actually convey this idea that money is ah that money has has some earning capacity and that um, by holding money, there's there's an opportunity cost associated with that. Um, do you have any do you have any thoughts on how to effectively convey this, or have you heard any examples of this conveyed very effectively? 
Sure. Um, and I don't I don't have exact calculator with me right sure. now. But um, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. If you invest five thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. um, so that's almost a hundred dollars a week, and you start from age eighteen, and I think if you go to twenty six mm-hmm. at seven percent interest, and then you stop. Yep. So five thousand dollars, eighteen, nineteen, all the way up to twenty six, and then you don't put a penny more, mm-hmm. and then you retire at sixty five or sixty seven, mm-hmm. right? And then if you start, if somebody else, that's let's say that's that's you, you decide to do that. Right. And I figure this out, and I'm like, oh, I should be saving for retirement. So then I start at age twenty seven, and then I put in five thousand dollars every single year until I'm 65, right? So this is for like 30, 30 this is like for 35, years. 37 years or, you know, 30 plus years. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting a lot more money, quote unquote, into, into my account at uh, 7 or 8%. And yeah. you're putting in um, I'm going for 7 money. or 8 years and you're going for 30 plus. Mm-hmm. I will have, or you will have more, the person who invested between the ages of 18 and 26 will have more to retire on than the person who did it from 26 to the day that they retired. And I didn't put a dime more in from the age of 27 to 65. Yeah. So that's a really good way about how showing if you start off early and you get that interest compounding very early, it can have massive impacts in the future. Future. And that might, um, I don't know if those exact numbers will check out per se, mm-hmm. but the main idea is, is that the earlier you start, it's more important. And if those numbers are off, they're not off by far. No, like, definitely it, not. It, it, I mean, so it's very important that you start saving earlier rather than later. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the effect that the amount of time that you give your money to grow um, that's, that's definitely going to be the most impactful factor. I mean, beyond the difference of investing like a little bit more, like starting five years earlier is going to be just dramatically affect the, the amount of money that you end up with, um, in the long term. And it's, it's mostly, it's not even, so the main thing is it's not even what you're investing in, right? Exactly. It's that you started or I, to some extent it is right. Um, being I mean, you don't want to be throwing your money into Bitcoin, but yeah. But, but yeah, if you're, you know, even if it's a really low cost, really low yield, like bonds, you yeah. know, that might give you three and a half percent, four percent. The fact that you're the, the rate at which you save and how early you save is far more important than whatever you invest in. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't wake up at, you know, age 55 and then have a million dollars put away. You know, it's very hard to do that. You know, just the amount you need to save if you start younger is so much less than, you know, if you were to start so much older. Yeah, and I think I think another good way to think about this is that your money today is really worth like 10, not, probably not 10 times, but like a significant, like we'll say 10 times. It's worth like 10 times what your money at the age of like 55 would be because at 55 you have no time for compound interest to take effect. But now you like in your example, you have so much more time. Um, so your money is just so much more valuable today and putting it to use today is really going to have a dramatic, dramatic effect over time. Um, when you let that compound interest take effect. Yeah. And I just did the calculations and it's Mm -hmm. just a little bit over 10 times. So if you're 20 today, and you go to age 55 at 7%, your money will multiply 10 times. Wow. So, <laughs> so yep, it's about 10 times. Your money today is worth about 10 times more than it will be at the age of 55. So that is why you got to be putting it to work today um, because you know, it's just going to be so much more effective at building any kind of wealth. Um, one thing that I think is just really, really out of whack is the math curriculum in high school. So, like you said, the curriculum in high school really is college preparatory, and it's really just preparing you for the math that you're going to be required to take in college. But I'm just curious, what did your math curriculum look like in high school? Like, what were the the subjects or the classes that you were required to take? So, I'm going to say that this probably varies 
by student and it varies from where your background is. So this is just my experience. But I started math in high school in ninth grade, mm -hmm. which is out with algebra two. Yep. And in my state, the requirement to graduate is you need to pass an algebra two class, I believe. Okay. And that's what you need to graduate. Wow. Um, and I think you need four years of math on top of that. Okay. Um, and then after algebra two, I went into, I think a pre-calculus course mm -hmm. and then a, uh, a, a calculus course with that had a little bit of physics tied in okay. and then a second year of calculus. So it would be the equivalent of calculus two for, for college students. Okay. So then when I went to school, I started on calculus three when I went to college. So, and what's your major? Math I was taught. Um, I'm studying engineering, specifically industrial engineering. Okay, so clearly for you, the calculus and the pre-calculus that you took in high school is relevant to probably what you're going to be doing um, in the future after graduation and has prepared you for your curriculum in college. But I think for the vast majority of people, um, I mean, in my state, what's required is you need algebra two, you need some trig, and you need some calculus to graduate high school. And I think that these are definitely valuable these are valuable things to learn. I mean, a lot of people are going to use trig or calculus or algebra, especially algebra throughout their lives. But I think something that would be a lot more important or a lot more relevant to more people would be to include some kind of financial math. I think having that in the curriculum instead of something like calculus, which is gonna to apply to, I'm gonna say probably less than like 15% of people who graduate high school are going to use calculus very regularly in their lives, whereas financial math is something that virtually all people should be thinking about. I mean, time value of money, like we were just talking about, um, and just like interest rates and stuff like this. I think that would apply to so much more people rather than making everybody take calculus when, I mean, it prepares you for college if you're majoring, if you're trying to be an engineer. But other than that, I think the vast majority of people um, I mean, like, I don't plan on using much calculus throughout my life, but I now have a great understanding of it, um, thanks to high school and college curriculum and required courses. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on the required math curriculum that we're put through in high school and college? So this is a very, a very tricky thing. Mm -hmm. um, first off, it takes a lot. To, to change a curriculum. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In, in the school system. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was actually, I think, 19 or 20 states that I think post-financial uh, post crisis, 2007, 2008, said, hey, you know what? It might be a smart idea if we required some sort of personal finance in, in mm -hmm. high school curriculum. And um, so... So the states decide, okay, we're going to make a requirement that there has to be at least some sort of financial literacy course that we implement at schools. So different schools implemented different ways. Mm -hmm. So if you're required to take an economics course your senior year, they can, um, some states have it so that you can do like a little unit on financial literacy and finances, and that will fulfill their requirement. Um, other states had entirely you know an entire uh either half a year or full year course on financial literacy that they required um so i believe that there is a study done between um harvard and the u.s government that said okay let's look at let's look at these people's financial outcomes and i'll i'll send you um i'll send you the paper that you can include in the show notes for anybody that's Perfect. interested um and they said, um, all right, well, let's look at, you know, these schools before and after um, they required the curriculum and implemented this curriculum and see, let's look at foreclosure rates. Let's look at credit scores. Let's look at, you know, average household incomes. So they looked at all these factors and they found out that really specifically like the financial courses that are targeted towards your finances mm -hmm. didn't have any impact on any of these really long-term things when it came to foreclosure rates or credit scores or how well people did with their money from wow. their understanding. And you're wondering, all right, well, why, why might that be? And 
it's the same reason that, you know, it's at least for me, it's very difficult for me to recall any specific curriculum, any specific knowledge that I learned in high school. I mm. learned about, you know, I memorized for an art history course, I memorized over 250, 300 works of art. Jeez. And could I tell you, you know, maybe a single one today? <laughs> I don't I don't know if I could. So another thing that they looked at is how well these students just did in math in general, mm -hmm. right? And they found out people who took more math courses and had a better understanding of math or higher level math courses in general mm -hmm. ended up having, you know, better credit scores, a little less foreclosure, you know, making, making smarter financials from the data that they had. So if you think about that, what that tells me, right, is it, it might not necessarily be the content that you learn in high school, mm -hmm. but the way that math is, is that, you know, you, you, you sort of figure things out. Um, you know, for example, if I pulled out my, if, if, I would if I was to take a geometry test today from my eighth grade geometry class and with all the postulates and I, I even forget what's in geometry now, <laughs> I might struggle a little bit more, but if I had like, you know, a really quick briefing of geometry because of how, you know, I, my math courses have progressed on top of each other, mm -hmm. I would be able to kind of figure that out a little bit more quickly. And, you know, it wouldn't be like me relearning it in the eighth grade all over again. Yeah. So I think that these stronger, uh, stronger high school math classes, if you get those critical thinking skills, then when it comes to making your financial decisions, you know, you can you can try to under, understand how this works. You're okay, okay, what's my monthly payment going to be? How much is my interest going to be? Mm -hmm. You can you can figure that out and instead of like remembering specific like oh, I remember how to calculate interest from page 52 of yeah. um, my high school textbook senior year because I'm buying a house now at 28 and I remember that. Mm -hmm. No, it's more like okay, I was good enough at math and I took enough math courses to where I could figure stuff out. So let me look at this mortgage thing and see how the numbers turn out. You know, what isn't the salesperson telling me at the car dealership? What what questions should I, how, how can I make this make sense in my mind? So I, I think it's a good thing to have something like your YouTube channel, for example, right? Because then, you know, people who are trying to figure this out in their mind you know, you can provide what the high schools didn't provide mm -hmm. at, at any age. Yeah. When it right before you're about to make a big financial decision, like buying a car or doing a mortgage or, you know, managing your credit or all these different sorts of things. So if your content's readily available, you know, you might, you know, stop watching your videos, let's say for six months and then forget about it. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, oh, okay. I'm going to, you know, I, I have this deal with a credit card or, or, or something mm -hmm. that, oh, let me just look back because, and then, you know, you can explain it to me and then I can figure it out and it'll make sense to me. And I think that's where a lot of value can come from. Do you, do you have any questions about that or any, uh, something that's not clear? No, I think that makes total sense. Um, I think, yeah, I think it is really important to have those basic math skills just so that you're able to sort of contextualize things when you hear them um, and not get intimidated by these more complex problems like say interest on a mortgage um, because when you do have that solid base of just math skills in general be that algebra or whatever um, you do have that confidence to sort of say okay I think I can give this a shot and see if I can figure this out on my own and not have to um, not have to just freeze out of fear and decide to do nothing um, and I also or do think, whatever the salesperson tells you exactly, to do. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just not think for yourself because you think that you're not qualified to do that or that you don't have the skills you need to make this decision on your own. And yeah, just follow along with whatever they tell you to do. Um, but yeah, going back to um, sort of the idea of being able to, in, in that case, review like these videos whenever you need them. Um, we've talked a little bit about just-in-time education before. And I think that's pretty similar to what you were just talking about with like the YouTube videos where they're available to you whenever you need them. And whenever you have these specific questions, you can always just refer to these videos instead of having to think back to page 52 of your econ textbook where they taught, taught you about how to calculate the interest payment on your mortgage. So what do you 
could you give the uh, listeners a, just a brief idea of what just-in-time education means? Yeah, so the, the premise of just-in-time education, again, um, the idea is that you learn about something before you're about to make that decision. So a good idea is, you know, before you select your colleges, you might want to look up videos or content about, you know, selecting uh, a college or university and, you know, looking at examples of what you're going to pay in loans when you make these decisions, you know, will you be will you be paying loans for 10 years? What's going to be your loan payment? Um, um, how much how much do I expect to make for these loans to be worth it? Right. Mm -hmm. Because a hundred thousand dollars, um, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of loans for an undergraduate business degree is not the same as a hundred and fifty thousand dollar loan for becoming a medical doctor or yep. a dentist, right? So understanding those different contexts between your earning potential and how much loans you're going to take out. Um, so, so there's that. Um, or, you know, just before buying a car. It's yep. important that, you know, you know about, you know, the tricks that different dealerships use to making you buy cars that you really can't afford. They make you focus on the monthly payment and not the mm -hmm. actual cost of the car. Yeah. And sometimes they have, you know, month, uh, financing that goes for seven years, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, learning about mortgages and how mortgage payments are calculated and um, does it make sense for me to get a mortgage or should I rent? And learning right before you're about to, to do that and spending a lot of time making sure you fully understand you know, there's a lot of things that can go go into mortgages. You know, there's manual underwriting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you didn't have a credit score at all, you never got a single credit card till you're 35, and you, you know you, you still don't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. Can you get a mortgage? Yeah, you can. There's such thing as manual yeah. underwriting, and you can learn about that. Um, so you know, there's there's different things that you want to learn about just before. And the bigger the decision, I would say, the more time you want to spend on it. Because the worst decisions are ones made without much thought and consideration. And the quickest decisions you make can also be the worst decisions that you make. So, again, yep. if you spend a week looking for that blender, you know, you know that's you. Like, or the difference between different sticks of gum and, you know, the difference between sugar-free and does this one have Splenda in it and sugar. And mm -hmm. if you're one of those people <laughs> who, like, really gets deep dive into that, take that same attitude towards your car or any other big expensive purchase that you make, yeah. your education, whether or not to go on a vacation, or if you're going to do a vacation, do you want somebody who arranges the entire thing for you or do it yourself? Mm -hmm. What's what's going to be the cost savings? Like, just the bigger the decision, the more time. So I would recommend. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that really, I think that really takes away from a lot of the impulse decision making that happens when you do take a proportionate amount of time to evaluate these decisions that are going to be quite significant expenses in the grand scheme of your life. Um, do you see any just-in-time education taking place inside the classroom today, or do you think that's mostly going to be found on outside sources like YouTube or um, like articles that people can just like refer to before they make a decision? So I think your best resource is to look at multiple different outlets right mm -hmm. so if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a car dealership and you want to learn about the business and you say you know i've had this car for three years it's, it's had a little bit of problems but should i really get a new car is it worth it for me to get a new car mm -hmm. well is that car salesman going to be like yeah you should probably hold off you know <laughs> um I don't need my commission that badly. Um, you know, your car works just fine. I don't, I don't understand. You don't, you don't need a car. Um, no, they're not. Um, try to get, try to get multiple perspectives from multiple sources. Um, I haven't, I've been fortunate enough to not have to take out student loans, mm -hmm. but, and I know that there are some loan officers that, that explain it to students who are, are getting loans. And I know some people don't even get explained to them. There are also colleges that are for-profit colleges that will mm. be predatory in the way that they can tell you you can afford school when you can't. Yeah. Um, they can just, you know, you can say, oh, you can get these private loans, you know, this this private school that costs $40,000 a year. You can afford this. This is affordable. You can fill out the FAFSA. This is, you know, um, 
but sometimes they're, they're just trying to get your money. Um, so I would say, you know, the best place to find unbiased stuff is, you know, outside of resources like mm-hmm. your YouTube channel or YouTube or articles or different articles and not just one article, but reading, reading from understand where people disagree. Yeah. And you have, you know, you're going to have your own like mind of what makes sense to you and what doesn't. Yep. So does it, if you don't understand it, then, you know, try to spend more time to understand it or just stay away from it because, you know, there are a lot of very complicated financial products out there when it comes into mortgages or investing things. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're like, uh, they'll, they'll try to like make you feel stupid yeah. and you don't know what you're doing and you can figure this out. And if somebody's not willing to teach you or to make you understand that, mm-hmm. then stay away from that person yeah. because they're, they're trying to, they're probably trying to pull one over on you. I completely agree. Um, and I, I really like what you said about understanding, um, sort of the argument along with anything. Um, so just, I think, people often look to just reinforce their beliefs when they go out and look into things like, I don't know, buying versus renting or anything like that. Um, But I think it is really important to seek multiple sources and to sort of find out what the dialogue is that exists there and why some people advocate for doing this, why some people advocate for doing that. And if you really understand the arguments that are being made on both sides of the table, then I think you can definitely make a more informed decision than if you're just seeking out information that's going to validate what you already thought and you're not really looking for any new information there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I got a couple more questions for you before we go. First off, what do you think, I mean, we sort of already covered this, but what do you think is one of the most important things for a student who just got out of high school to know, um, financially? To know financially, I would say it would be making an informed college decision. Um, you know, a lot of colleges will try to sell the experience. Yep. Uh, they'll have these very nice campuses, and it's all about the campus and the buildings. And <laughs> you know, you'll you'll this is the only time in your life that you're you're ever going to be able to do something like this, and that that's very dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll it's you know they'll, they'll, yeah they'll it's a product your education when it comes down to it mm-hmm. is it's really a product and it's a good product and it's a good investment if you're going to to finish your education it's yeah. not if you're not going to some yep. college is not worth it um and you know consider options that you've never considered before you know maybe consider a vocation or uh a vocation like a uh sorry like plumbing or yeah. being, becoming an electrician mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of other examples and, you know, you can make a lot of money that way. College is not the only route. Um, and then also, you know, I'd say maybe if you're still in high school or the summer before college, get a job. Um, I think you can learn a lot from getting a job and getting a paycheck and first starting to pay taxes. I feel like you'll, you'll figure, you'll figure that out a lot and you'll become more, depending on what you're your background is you can become more appreciative for, you know, what it's like to, to work for your money because, you know, between the ages of one or 18 and most cases, not all, but you know, your family can provide a lot for you. Yeah. Um, and you know, you might say, Oh, well it might not be worth it for me to get a job because, um, I could do another extracurricular activity or something like that. Mm-hmm. And although that might be true, Getting a job can also be very, very valuable. I know yeah. several employers that very highly um, take into consideration jobs, um, the fact that you had a part-time job during college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually looking at getting getting hired. Uh, I might just might as well say their company, Accenture. Mm-hmm. Um, Accenture is a consulting firm that you know I'm looking at for a future internship mm-hmm. and I learned that they, they highly, highly value part-time jobs in college okay. a, a lot. Um, and I know that there are other companies too. It, it builds on your resume. It's very yep. useful. So the two things I would say for somebody graduating high school is really understand why you're doing what you're doing after graduation. Yeah. It's better to take a gap year and try and figure it out and work a job than to go into university and then realize it's not what you want to do and leave. 
So mm-hmm. I'd rather you take that gap year any 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 day versus you know making a decision that you're not too entirely sure of. You're might being being pressured by your family, yeah. or you know your family can be a very very strong influence on you. So to wrap up, it would be those two things. You know, consider a job and really consider your options after graduation. So with an informed college decision, I think that the pressure that people get from their parents and their family is just like such people get really get caught up in that. I know personally, um, for me, it really wasn't like a a valid option for me not to go pretty much straight to college. I was considering a gap year uh, for a little bit, but that was shot down very quickly by my parents um, and other family members. And I think that people really do get caught up in this pressure and they don't really stop to realize that, I mean, I think your parents are going to, they're going to love you either way, whether you take a gap year, whether you choose to do something else with your life. Um, and if they don't, then there's something else going on there and there's some other problems, but like you choosing not, you choosing to go straight to college just because you don't want to upset your parents or cause any like ripples, um, there, I think that's just such a poor decision. And there's really, there's, there's no reason. I mean, the, the implications of you doing something that you don't want to do just because you feel like it's the right thing to do, the regret there is going to be so much greater than any um, marginal improvement to a relationship that you have with your parents um, by making this decision that really isn't right for you. Um, so I think, I think that is really important to like really weigh the, weigh the pros and cons of college or vocational school or community college or a gap year. Um, without really taking into account how other people are going to feel about what you do. Um, and if I could, if I can add into that a little bit more, yeah. um, it's different. You know, I think your parents will be saying, um, mom and dad, you know, I am not going to go to college and I'm just going to stay with you and play video games for a year. Is that okay? More- <laughs> okay, that's a little bit different than saying, Mom and Dad, you know, I know that, you know, education is very important to you, mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I'd like to get a full-time job, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'd like to save up for, for school so I don't have to take out as many loans or save up for a car, mm-hmm. save up for this. I'll, I'll be working 40-plus hours a week. Yep. Um, you know, if you want me to pay rent, I can, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, or mom and dad, you know, I've really thought about college, but I'm really considering the vocational track. Um, you know, there's different, there's different situations. So I think your parents can be more receptive to, I'm going to work full time for a year, or I'm going to check out vocational school and, and, or, or some combination instead of just, I'm going to do nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you gotta have, you gotta have a valid, like, argument or a valid like plan in place you can't just say um screw college i'm gonna not do that and just i don't know hang in my hometown and not not worry about anything get a part-time job at like a grocery store or something um so yeah having a plan is definitely definitely key there um if you want anybody to take you seriously um all right i just got one more question for you um and then we can wrap this up um where do you think some of the best resources are for young people to learn more about um, financial skills, financial literacy in a non-intimidating environment? Because I feel like a lot of people, um, when they're trying to start learning about financial literacy, about investing, about budgeting, anything, they can get really intimidated if people are using all this vocabulary just to make you feel dumb or try to um, sort of just make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about in order to, so that they can just sell you something. Um, so where do you think is some good places for people to start if they're like, I want to learn more about financial literacy. I want to figure my finances out, but I don't want to feel like I'm dumb or that I don't know anything. Um, so I would say that there's probably a lot of great resources on, um, YouTube Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of channels. Um, one big one that a lot of people follow, and I don't know if you're a huge fan of this guy mm-hmm. or not, but his name's Dave Ramsey. <laughs> he has an interesting perspective. I, mm-hmm. I know that 
a lot of younger millennials don't agree with him. And there are a lot of things that are not a lot. There are several things where I say, you know, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And um, when it comes to him, like he says, you can get 12% on a mutual fund. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I disagree with that. Um, you know, and he's also very anti credit card where you're yep. very pro credit card. Um, and he has a lot of valid reasons for that. Mm-hmm. His attitudes towards real estate are very different towards many other people who write books about real estate. Yeah. Um, so I would try to say to try to diversify your different, your different sources. Um, just so it's not like, you know, one polarizing view after another, yeah. you know, get one side of the argument, try to get the other side of the argument and see, okay, what, what makes sense to me personally? Yeah. If anybody's trying to make you feel dumb, just, I would say, leave that situation immediately. They're yeah. not your friend. They're probably trying to take advantage of you. Yep. Um, uh, the random walk down Wall Street book um, was one of several financial literacy books that I read, and I think that's valuable if you want to learn about investing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's like the most important thing. The most important thing is that you're you're trying to save and um, you know trying to avoid absurd amounts of debt and buying things you can't afford. That comes first. Um, and then. Yeah, I would just try to say online, like there's plenty of resources online. Maybe yeah. you have an economics teacher, mm-hmm. um, an economics teacher, you know, they are pretty good at providing like, well, economically, like, which is pretty unbiased. I mean, there are <laughs> economists that lean one way or the other, yeah. but they, there's a science to it. So, you know, if you have an economics professor say, hey, you know, I haven't known a whole lot about personal finance. What can you tell me? And you know, most of the time they have a PhD in economics, so they can give you lots yeah. of examples of, of different stuff. So I think that there's plenty of resources out there. I would just say don't only listen to one person. Um, sometimes your parents might have very, very strong views about mm-hmm. one thing or another. Um, so um, just try to consider other views. I think what's really key about all the resources you just mentioned, um, besides the book, is that they're all free. So mm-hmm. There really is just an abundance of free resources online for people to learn more about personal finance, financial literacy, whatever. Um, and there's really no need, at least at first, when you're just trying to establish a base of knowledge, there's really, in my opinion, no need to pay somebody to teach you about these things because there is just such an abundance of free information out there. Um, and as long as you know the right questions to ask, um, there's re- yeah, there's, there's such an abundance of information. Um, and I think what you said about Dave Ramsey, I think, yeah, he definitely has a lot of really valid points. I obviously don't agree um, with him on everything, um, credit cards in particular. But, um, yeah, I think it is really important to get a wide variety of perspectives just because you don't want to get caught up in one just feedback loop of the same person telling you the same things. And just thinking for yourself is really important. And it's a lot easier to do that when you have many different sources of information. All right. Well, thanks again to Chase for being our first guest on Young Smart Money. I know I got a ton, a ton of value from this conversation, and I really hope that you did as well. Let me know what you thought of this show format as well, because I'm thinking that adding a guest to the show will make it more interesting and less of just listening to my voice every week. So if you did enjoy this format, be sure to let me know so that I can be sure to reach out to more guests and have more people like Chase on the podcast. And for our money pun of the day, why don't cows have money? Because the farmers are milking them dry. Next week, we'll be bringing on another guest. And if you can't wait until then for your next hit of financial literacy content and money skills, you are in luck because I have got a load of free resources for you. The first of which is my website, applecrater.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode at applecrater.com slash 005. Additionally, I have a new course on investing your first $100 as a student. It is called $100 and a smartphone because that is all you need to begin investing as a student. So be sure to check that out as well at applecrater.com slash course. And lastly, you can find me on YouTube where I have over 150 daily uploads um, with both financial literacy, um, personal finance, and entrepreneurship for 
college students and high school students, and that can be found at youtube.com slash applecrater. Well, I would just like to thank you for checking out Young Smart Money today with me, your host, Apple Crater. And before I go, I would like to challenge you to have a financial conversation with somebody around you. Like we did in this episode today, I think financial conversations can be so, so valuable and they're so underutilized. I think there's this big taboo around talking about money, talking about personal finance, when in reality it's something that is very, very central to all of our lives. We all have to deal with money. We all have to figure out how to best utilize our money. So I think it can be really, really valuable to just sit down with somebody who you have a financial relationship with, maybe a significant other, maybe a parent, maybe just a coworker or a friend, and have a money conversation that you've been afraid to have or a money conversation that you think would be interesting to have, not something that's gonna make anybody uncomfortable. You don't have to use any real numbers if you're talking with, say, a family member or maybe a coworker who might not wanna share what their salary is, what their actual number is, but just have a conversation about personal finance, about money in general. And I think it can really bring a lot of value to the conversation because a lot of times we have these ideas in our head that may not be correct, but because we're afraid to talk about personal finance related topics with other people, we never actually find out that these um, ideas that we have in our head are actually misconceptions and are actually not based in reality whatsoever. So get out there and have a financial related conversation with somebody around you. And guys, do not forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. I really would appreciate it. We've got about five reviews right now and we're really trying to get up there because iTunes really does favor those podcasts that have reviews at it when they're starting out. So be sure to drop us a review over there. And for Young Smart Money, my name is Apple Kreider. I will see you next week.